Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome back to the Guys and Ties podcast. This is Dustin. I'm here with Rob. We're back this week. We took a week off. I don't think there was much going on in this world of UVA sports from this past week, so we didn't do one last week, but we're going to do one today. We're going to talk about some recruiting stuff, and we're also going to mention some of the ways in which the professional leagues like the NBA and uh, the MLB have been dealing with COVID and testing and all that kind of stuff. Uh, But before we get into that, Rob, how are you doing today? Terrific, dude. Great to be back. Uh, yeah, you're right. You know, not, not a lot has happened necessarily UVA wise. We got a couple, uh, couple football commits we can talk about just some recruiting updates and, uh, certainly with the NBA getting started in the bubble, you know, there's a growing number of UVA players in the NBA. So we got a few things here and there. Hopefully, uh, we'll keep y'all interested. Yes. So we're going to get into all that. We're also going to do some Notre Dame talk. Uh, I think Rob and I are going to discuss, what we should do about Notre Dame uh, this upcoming season for football. But before we get into that, I want to talk about our sponsor, Bet Online. As sports begin to return, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, BetOnline.ag. With UFC, NASCAR, Formula One, and the English Premier League in full swing, there's no shortage of ways to get in on the action. Also, with Major League Baseball and the NBA returning and NFL returning later this year, BetOnline has future odds on everything you can imagine, season win totals, division odds, and championship odds as well. Make sure to visit BetOnline.ag on your computer or mobile device to join now and receive your welcome bonus. UVA football is the softest bunch of cream puffs, bow tie wearing, brie cheese eating, NASCAR wearing wussies I've ever seen in my life. I'm going to punch people from UVA right in the neck. They wear suits to games. (laughs) That's absurd. All right. So as we get into this today, we're going to start off with the UVA stuff that's what y'all y'all come here for I think not our not our banter or talk of um uh manscaped which we'll do later but but (laughs) can't wait (laughs) but we uh we do have some recruiting news so Rob our football expert what's what's going on with recruiting news in football definitely so you know really two main things have happened um, real tangible things have happened on the recruiting front since our last podcast. And, you know, first one that we can touch on, um, you know, cause I think it's really interesting. And I think, I think there is actually a little bit to talk about here is UVA gets the transfer from Tony Poljan. Um, he's a tight end. Uh, he was at central Michigan redshirted a year played three years, so he's coming in as a grad transfer, immediately eligible at UVA for his final year of eligibility. And 
this dude athletically is a freak. <laughs> and if any of you guys uh, subscribe to The Athletic, Tony Bungin actually made uh, the college football freak list there that is made every year, just given to guys who just have insane measurables. And Tony Bungin was given uh, his spot on that list for just his athleticism. For a tight end, you know, he's really something different than what UVA has had the past few years under Bronco Mendenhall. You know, the guy's 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, you know, almost 260 pounds. And, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see how he fits in the offense and also really interesting to see how, uh, you know, the position kind of evolves now that Ricky Brumfield is uh, officially the new tight ends coach. Previously, it was Robert and I. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see how he's involved because he's really a different type of player than an Evan Butts or a Tanner Cowley that we have had before. Um, under Bronco Mendenhall. So, you so know, he, hold on one second. So he's more like yeah. like a Jimmy Graham or Gronk size tight end. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's actually a little tough to evaluate him just because there's really not much tape of him out there. You know, you do an internet search, you do um, you know, Google, YouTube, whatever it is. You know, there's really not that many Central Michigan highlights to begin with. And there's really very few of Tony Polgin's specific highlight, highlights as well. And you also have to remember with him, there's not even really high school highlights with him because he came to Central Michigan as a quarterback. He mm-hmm. started at quarterback to begin, uh, I think it was the season before we played them or the season after we played them a few years ago. But he started a few games at quarterback before he moved to tight end. So he's a big guy, you know, big target over the middle. And, you know, as we transition quarterbacks, we transition coaches. I think it's a really interesting opportunity to see, uh, you know, how a guy like him could be utilized in offense where, you know, Cavs Corner has actually done a terrific job with some of their pieces breaking down, um, you know, just film of UVA last season. And they did a piece on the tight ends. And, you know, the tight ends were really used as almost misdirection plays. Um, and they had to be terrific, terrific blockers. Now you bring in someone with the size of Tony Pulgin, um, someone with kind of that pedigree, you know, I'm really curious to see, do we open up the offense a bit more to tight ends? Does Brennan Armstrong rely on tight ends more than maybe Bryce Perkins did? Um, it's a really interesting development, especially now as we have a new coach in there and Ricky Brumfield. Yeah, so you mentioned that there's that there could be a change. Do you think that the offense is going to change a lot? I know we know it's going to change because uh, most of our offense is graduated and is now playing for the Rams in uh, Bryce Perkins, but that's right. What is it? 75%. It's close it's to something that. Something crazy. Like but that. It might, maybe it was 79. I don't know. It was, yeah, it was, it was up there, crazy. but does it change so that the tight ends get involved a little bit more? Because we did have talented tight ends. I think Evan Butts and Tanner Cowley were both um, pretty underrated and underutilized in how, given how much talent they had. Do you think that we change it at all for our tight ends now that we have a new quarterback? You know, I could see it happening. Um, again, I referenced the Cavs corner piece because it was so well done on the tight ends. Um, you know, a lot of the plays to tight ends, you know, were one read misdirection plays. You know, it was a fake handoff and the tight end slips out or it was kind of, a, you know, again, a fake and then a tight end flashes over the middle, um, you know, and you throw a dump there you know, over the past couple of years, and especially more with Cali, who I think had a bit more speed than Evan Butts did. 
Um, but the plays that went to tight ends were specifically designed to go to tight ends. They were really one read plays. So, you know, that kind of brings in the question, did Bryce just not look the tight ends way that often? You know, did he just never really make it through the progression to the mm-hmm. tight ends? Did he just prefer playing, you know, outside the hashes more than inside the hashes? It's tough to say, but, you know, you bring in a guy like Tony Poljan and, you know, now that Ricky Brumfield's the coach, I think he certainly brings a bit more energy on the recruiting front um, to that position. But, you know, with him as coach now, do we kind of switch it up at all, you know? And I think a lot of it will be quarterback dependent. I think we'll still kind of have the misdirection plays to tight ends that we saw all the past couple of years under Robert and I. But, you know, I think a lot of it's going to come down, and I keep saying Brennan Armstrong. I'm assuming Brennan Armstrong is going to be the starting quarterback if we play this fall. But maybe it's Keaton Thompson. But whoever wins that starting job, I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, if that first outside receiver isn't open, you know, maybe tight ends the second read and Bryce just wouldn't really look there that often. Maybe I don't know. I'm speculating, but maybe Brennan would or maybe Keaton Thompson would, you know, so I think a lot of it is going to be more than just team dependent. It'll be quarterback dependent, too, mm-hmm. just because Bryce definitely preferred playing outside the hashes with his throws, you know, a lot of short, yeah. quick throws. And someone with probably a bigger arm, um, you know, whether that's Keaton Thompson or Brennan Armstrong, you know, I'm curious to see how they'll approach the middle of the field um, and how the offense will change to their strengths. Yeah. So I'm guessing, I mean, you could make the argument that Bryce was honestly more dangerous on the ground, you know, rushing outside the tackles rather than passing to a tight end who's five or 10 yards down the field, you know, because I don't think you know, through his progression that the tight ends often would get that far down the field. Um, And a lot of times Bryce would make incredible plays. So I guess he just preferred to run it. That would be my guess. But I'm sure there's a whole bunch of other reasons why he didn't use the tight ends as much as he could have. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting too, because I guess uh, Evan Butts, his redshirt freshman year, he was coached, um, by Mike London. And, you know, he certainly did some good things with Mike London. Um, but it's not like we were heavily utilizing tight end in that offense either. We didn't then, do any know, much of anything with that offense. <laughs> that is true. To be honest. Well, Steve Fairchild was the best running back screen designer <laughs> in the country, we were told on one broadcast. So yeah. he had that feather in his cap. Um, designer, no, not but, executor. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, but yeah, you know, the tight ends and our offense are really, really used as much as anything as blockers. And, you know, we have Jamari Peacock, who kind of fulfills that fullback role or the big back, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, you know, Wayne Talapapa was a really, really strong blocker out of the backfield. And if you look at the past few years, it's some big runs that UVA has had, you know, whether it's quarterback, whether it's running back, the tight ends have done a great job. You know, Evan Butts was a really, really good blocker, and that's a huge reason why, um, you know, he spent at least a tryout portion of time on the Baltimore Ravens last year. And Tanner Cowley probably wasn't as good of an inline blocker as Evan Butts, but Tanner Cowley was really good out in space. And I mean, if you go back and watch Bryce's two long touchdown runs against Virginia Tech last year, look who's out in front of him. It's Tanner Cowley. Mm-hmm. So, you know, apparently from what I've read, Tony Poljan is supposed to be a very strong blocker. He's also much bigger <laughs> at 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, yeah than these guys. So I'd be curious to see how he moves in space because, you know, that is something that presumably he'll be asked to do is block in space. But, you know, by all accounts, 
you know, Tony Poljan could be a future NFL player. You know, people in the college football community are really, really high on him. So it is really interesting to see for a guy who was technically in the portal for only a day that was public, you know, to see him commit so fast to UVA, um, you know, in a system over the past few years that really has not utilized the tight end so much is really intriguing. And, you know, as much as anything, it makes me think, you know, we've seen Ricky Brumfield be so successful in Louisiana recruiting. You know, now bringing him to the tight end position, does this inject a little bit of life here and maybe get us um, a bit of momentum and, you know, change the way we use tight ends on the field too? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to be back to tight end you like we used to be kind of in the Al Grody years, you know, think about Keith Miller, a Jonathan Stupar, you know, there's a ton of guys who just seem to have pretty decent NFL careers. And I'm, I love a good, you know, big tight end who can catch. So, yeah, I, I mean, t- Tom Santi, John yeah. Phillips, you know, from a build perspective, Tony Poljan fits that mold. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know how to play out, how we'll emphasize them. Or, like I said, I've seen very few highlights of the guy. Yeah. But from that build, yeah, Tony Poljan falls more in that category than Evan Butts, than uh, uh, Tanner Cowley does. Well, hopefully he can play this year. Hopefully we, any of us can you know, watch a game this year. But um, moving on to some more positive news is that we had some visitors to grounds this past week. And uh, it was the recruits. Right, Rob? Yeah, yeah. No, that was actually really fun. And, you know, I'll admit... I've followed UVA football for a long time. I really didn't start following recruiting in earnest until probably a little over a year ago. Um, So this is kind of the first class that I've kind of seen like build from commitment one up until where we are now. And for me, like this is just such a fun class to follow. And, you know, just seeing all these guys come to grounds last week, um, you know, during the pandemic, it's still a dead period. So the coaches were able to tell them, hey, you should go try this restaurant or, oh, you should go see this building. But the coaches weren't able to interact with them. You know, they didn't get to visit the coaches. Um, So to see guys like Josh McCarron, outside linebacker, who's really leading the charge, come all the way out from the West Coast. And, you know, there's a lot of local guys there, too. You know, Aiden Ryan, Malachi Fields, you know, Wes Weeks, who's staring out of Stanford offer, too, right now. He showed up. Um, So for me, it was really cool to see that video um, that they put out. Um, I don't know if you had any other thoughts there too, Dustin. No, I just, I think it was brilliant uh, in the terms of that this is such a weird time and, you know, some some students aren't even going to go back to their school this year. But I think it was important to get these kids on grounds and, you know, seeing each other, meeting each other in person because when you get those relationships, it, it makes the team so much better, honestly. And even though they're not, they're not going to play this season, they are going to be, playing in the next season and the next season after that so i'm i'm pumped to see that they made an effort to actually you know show that they care show that they're excited and i think it was good for the fans too because i was like oh that's really neat like all they're going to all these cool places you know where i went so it was just nice to see like like people excited to be to to see where they're going to live for the next you know three or four years and i thought that was really really special for them Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an example, too, of just kind of the leadership and the type of guys that staff recruits. You know, Josh Mm -hmm. McCarron committed. What's an early commitment for UVA? Uh, You know, he was a four-star when he committed. I think now he's a composite three-star, but a very high three-star. Call him what you will. Um, Certainly one of the headliners of this class. And 
he committed without ever visiting UVA. He was kind of the first in a trend of, wow, the staff apparently has just an amazing virtual tour they give these recruits. Yeah. And Josh McCarron was sold, committed, and really was kind of the first and, you know, what was a couple of weeks of just having to commit every day. Um, so for me, it was really cool to see him come out and lead. And, you know, you listen to these guys interview. I mean, heck, even listen to Charles Snowden these past couple of weeks mm-hmm. um, during the Black Lives Matters movement. You know, you see these guys are just incredibly, incredibly well-spoken, well-put-together. And, you know, I think it really speaks really high volumes of this program as a whole. You know, seeing the type of guys that commit and seeing how they conduct themselves. I mean, another example, you know, we can talk about it if you want, but we just got a commitment um, since our last podcast from James Jackson, um, you know, a linebacker out of Roanoke. And James Jackson's quote when he committed was, yeah, you know, like I'm not a not a big drama guy. I was kind of just ready to commit and keep working. <laughs> and that's that's really what these guys are. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty cool to see that kind of um, embody itself in the way it did this past weekend on grounds. And, you know, the funny thing about Jackson is that his commitment was kind of spoiled by a graphic that was put out. Yeah, by, that's right. <laughs> it, it was put out by the football team, right? I think so. I want to say Michael Green tweeted it out. Okay. So one recruit tweeted it out. But yeah, he had been a silent commitment. Yeah. Um, And there was speculation that he was going to commit, you know, pretty soon. Um, But yeah, they put out this graphic, like, look at all these defensive recruits. It's like, oh, James Jackson, he hasn't committed yet. He hasn't committed yet. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. So that that also happened the past week. So a lot of recruiting news, which is good. Um, But otherwise, I don't think there's really anything else that happened recruiting wise basketball practices started which was cool there's a picture that came out with tony in a mask and he had some like almost elbow length the surgical gloves on which was (laughs) which was i think pretty funny looking but he's taking it seriously which is good to see and all the players had masks on i didn't see i didn't see any of the freshmen i don't think but i saw some other um players there so it was good to see basketball getting back in, and hopefully we'll hear some good recruiting news on that front soon. There's some speculation that we might get a top recruit in the near future, but we'll let you know when that happens. And besides that, I don't, Rob, unless there's anything I'm forgetting. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, yeah, I mean, we touched on the James Jackson commitment. I think that's exciting. You know, he's a guy that's probably going to need a couple of years, you know, coming from Roanoke and North Cross, you know, I actually went to elementary school and a bit of middle school at North Cross. And I can tell you, it's not necessarily the highest level of competition, but <laughs> you look at his tape and, you know, he's, he flies around and he'd admittedly be a bit, he was recruited by Kelly Papinga as an outside linebacker. Um, he'd admittedly be a bit short for an outside linebacker in our system. He's about six, three right now. So mm-hmm. I could certainly see him making kind of that Jordan Mack switch, yeah. um, start on the outside, move to inside. I could see that, but he flies around. He's got a ton of speed. He would have to um, bulk up a little bit to be on the inside. Yeah. And he'd have to bulk up on the outside too. And, you know, there's yeah. even speculation with him, you know, does he become kind of the Chris Moore type player? Is he you know, does he transition more as a safety maybe even than a linebacker? Mm -hmm. It's tough to say, but, um, you know, he's certainly got a lot of speed and intriguing player. Um, especially as the staff, as we know, loves recruiting linebackers. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, with basketball, you know, some dominoes are starting to fall there, you know, looking at specifically Trevor Keels and, 
uh, Worley, you know, those are kind of two of our big targets right now, five-star guys. And, yeah. you know, we're seeing the dead period kind of put everything on hold and these guys totally understandably want to make visits. So, you know, before the dead period, before coronavirus kind of hit the U.S. in earnest, you know, there was a lot of momentum with UVA basketball recruiting. You know, Trevor Keels is going to make a decision pretty soon. Well, you know, that that kind of went on pause. But now we're seeing, I forget, someone just committed to Villanova very recently. Um, so we're potentially seeing dominoes start to fall there. And I think as these guys realize that, hey, you're, we're probably still not making official visits anytime soon. You know, I think we could see some dominoes start to fall there and UVA potentially getting commitments from some really, really highly regarded high school players. Definitely. So we'll we'll keep you all updated on that as it comes out. But that probably won't happen. Well, it might happen soon, but we're, we don't know. So we'll, we'll let you know when it does. But moving on, I think that we're going to talk about I want to give some updates. And I think Rob does, too, about how the bubble is going for the NBA. How is the MLB going? Uh, with Because they just started back up and how are they testing? Because I think that's going to give us a good look as to what it might look like in the fall, especially for football. You know, we just got news recently that the NFL is back officially. The NFL and the NFLPA agreed on an, uh, an agreement uh, to, to share revenue uh, because they are expecting a lower revenue stream due to covid so we will talk about that but first i want to talk about our sponsors bet online as sports begin to return so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner betonline.ag with ufc nascar formula one and the english premier league in full swing there's no shortage of ways to get in on the action also, with Major League Baseball and the NBA returning and NFL returning later this year, BetOnline has future odds on everything you can imagine, season win totals, division odds, and championship odds as well. Make sure to visit BetOnline.ag on your computer or mobile device to join now and receive your welcome bonus. Men, you better start taking notes because Manscaped accidents are finally a thing of the past. The Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 has been beautifully designed to reduce those painful nicks and tugs. This is their third generation trimmer featuring advanced skin safe technology so you keep your bad boys nice and smooth. The Manscaped engineering team obsesses over technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience, and they spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released with the new and improved Lawn Mower 3.0. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes, so you can take a longer shave. The water-resistant technology allows you to shave in the shower too. One of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. And let's not forget about that charging stand. Show off your mower loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. You need to try this out for yourself. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com your balls will thank you so let's talk about the major league sports that have come back recently uh the major league baseball has started just a couple days ago in fact with the nats and the yankees starting off on opening day and that got rained out unfortunately but there's also been a bunch of games uh moving forward so the mlb actually their testing is pretty rigorous they test i think every other day and so far they have had they have given out uh, 32,640 tests with only 99 
positive tests coming back. So that's like all of the teams, all of the all of the people, and the percent of positive is zero point three percent positive. So that's not terrible for baseball. And I think with baseball it's a little bit easier considering that they don't have to they're not like in contact with each other all the time. But something that a uh, big news right on opening day that happened was that Juan Soto, one of the Nats stars, uh, star outfielder, he was um, he tested positive for coronavirus, so he's going to be out for at least two weeks um, with that positive test. Rob, I want your opinion on this because he tested positive, but he had just played in a game like that week. Do you think that? And we're not medical experts, but like I find it surprising that he's the only one that has to quarantine and not like the rest of the team. Yeah, you know, this is something that I will admittedly defer to you on a bit just because, you know, I haven't followed the pro sports as much. You know, I know what's Uh happening, but haven't quite followed it in as much detail as I would have liked to. Um, But yeah, I do find it odd. And, you know, the ACC bringing it back to college sports actually has... um, you know, an idea that kind of corrects that, you know, the ACC's idea is, is if a player, you know, tests positive for coronavirus, then they and any people that they're supposed to supposedly have contact with, you know, are supposed to quarantine for 10 days to two weeks, which, you know, brings in a question, you know, if an offensive lineman tests positive and they've been in the offensive line room, you know, does the whole offensive line need to quarantine? <laughs> Same with quarterback, you know, your quarterback room do you have to have like one quarterback who intentionally doesn't do meetings so that you know if in case someone tests positive they're still available you know it's kind of interesting from that perspective i would say in the professional world you know they're able to do the bubble with way more um success way higher likelihood of actually executing on it and we've seen that in the nba as well um you just don't have that with college sports but I don't know. I guess I'm curious to hear how you feel about it as well. So I think I think it's interesting because there's been other teams that have gone full quarantine when one of their players or coaches has tested positive. I mean, you can look at Michigan State, who on just two days ago on Friday announced that their whole football team would be quarantining for 14 weeks because one, uh, two staff members and one athlete tested positive for uh, COVID-19. So I think it's interesting that there's kind of there's not really a set way in which to do this, and you know no one's ever done this before. But there's 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 no unity throughout any of these leagues. I mean, you've got the NBA who has just isolated their players mostly, and we'll talk about that later. But and then the MLB, which is basically like we're just going to test kind of whenever, and then our players are going to quarantine if they get it. And then Michigan State and the NCAA, which, you know, hasn't come out with a real plan yet, but the Michigan State has quarantined for two full weeks. So that's a huge loss for them because they're not going to be able to practice during that time. I just think it's really interesting that we have all these different kind of things, but no no set way in which to deal with this, especially considering, you know, football's coming back soon. And that's really the moneymaker in this country. Yeah, I mean, I totally feel that. I mean, I feel like that's just part of this process. And, you know, I think 
as far as other sports go, you know, college sports will be able to learn a bit from these pro sports happening right now. You know, baseball coming back, NBA, um, you know, soccer over in Europe. Um, but also kind of the other way, like especially with regards to football, you know, the NFL PA just agreed to the, their agreement this week. So mm-hmm. that the season presumably will roll forward to the NFL. But I'm sure the NFL will learn some things, too, as college football training camps, you know, quote unquote, are supposed to get started over the next couple of weeks, you know, kind of before the NFL really begins in earnest. So, I mean, you're right. Like, we don't really know, like, how it's all going to go. I mean, it's all everyone's still learning. It's all very different. um, And there's no precedent. So, yeah, I, I think your point is, like, super, super valid as far as, you know, that there is no standard right now. We don't we don't know necessarily how best to deal with it. Um, so, I mean, I'm as curious as you are and as anybody is to just see how it progresses. Yeah. So with the NFL and the NFLPA agreement, I don't know how much you've read into it, but they, they've got some pretty strict rules for especially the first couple of weeks that players are going to be together. So when, they, when players uh, go to training camp, they will be tested every day for the first two weeks of training camp and they're not going to be in pads for the first three weeks of training camp, which I think that sounds pretty extreme. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, it maybe that's what it takes. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. basketball is similar in that, you know, there's a lot of contact obviously in basketball, um, same way there is in football and basketball in the NBA, they're really able to utilize the bubble format and the NFL, even, you know, as much as, You'd like to think that the pro sports have a leg up and have a leg up on college sports, and they certainly do. But I mean, the NFL, you can't really do a bubble. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like all these guys are going to be at the same facility. Right. It's not like you know these. I mean, these guys are all over the country. Yeah. Um, so I mean, it's it's really tough to say kind of how it'll play out. But you know, there certainly was a lot of effort put into the NFLPA agreement. Yeah. And you know, same type of thing. You know, everyone's learning from each other right now, and maybe we'll see colleges you know whether it's at the ncaa conference or individual school level maybe we'll see them start to adopt things that were um negotiated by the mm-hmm. nflpa yeah. i don't know and i mean it's tough to say and so this is the other thing right is if is if a player test po- does test positive if they're asymptomatic uh, according to the agreement with the nfl and the nflpa they can return 10 days after their initial test if they are showing symptoms they have to they have they can come back after this is confusing but at least 10 days after the symptoms first appeared and at least 72 hours have passed since last experiencing symptoms but it doesn't say anything about what happens with other players it says that players who have had close contact with someone with symptoms will be tested and isolated uh, if the test is negative the player can return but like that's a whole football team Right. With the way that we think this virus spreads, I feel like it's so easy, especially if you're like in a in a team meeting or even a a player personnel meeting like a wide receivers group or a or an offensive line group. You know, those players are all super in, close and in the same room. So does the whole offensive line have to quarantine or, you know, I think that's just going to be a really interesting thing to see what happens down the road. Yeah, and you know, there were some message board conversations about that idea as well, with the idea that like maybe every position group is split up into two halves and you have meetings, you know, split up by that. So like 
one quarterback room this coming year might have Brennan Armstrong and Lindell Stone, and the other might have Keaton Thompson and Ira Armstead, mm. and vice versa. And, you know, someone even brought around is like, well, like, is, like, say the QB room, like, they have to quarantine is like poor Devonte cross like move back yeah. quarterback like <laughs> is he like the emergency quarterback for yeah. us um you know that's all uva specific but dude i mean it's it's crazy to think about because there really there really isn't an answer right now mm-hmm. and you know i throughout this whole thing i think i've definitely erred on the side of a bit more caution you know to me not knowing you know the long-term effects of the virus not you know, really just knowing so little in general about the virus, um, you know, even if you are asymptomatic, um, you know, to me, it makes sense as we go through this. And especially if the NCAA wants to keep up their argument of amateurism and all that, you know, that you really take every precaution that's out there, um, which may include, you know, just like we said, you know, being overly, overly precautious. If one person tests positive and they've been in contact yeah. with the entire offensive line, yeah. you know, maybe that's what it comes to. Um, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, I'm nervous that at some point, like most of one team is going to get it and it's just kind of kind of screw up the schedule because then their their next two weeks are going to be, you know, are they going to forfeit those games? Are they just going to cancel those games? What do those other teams do? Do they reschedule? I think it's gonna be really interesting what happens if they either have to like pause the season or cancel the season midway through. If, if there is indeed another spike or if it doesn't get better or if a team does this or that, I, I'm just really curious as to what's going to happen. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, I guess. Definitely. I mean, we'll, we'll definitely be learning just as the administrators are learning. There's no question about that. Right. Um, but and that actually might be a really great transition into kind of just ACC football scheduling in general. Yeah. Because um, the momentum right now is moving towards this 10 plus one format you know, presumably with pods in there, 10 plus one, meaning ACC teams will play 10 games within the conference and then get to play one game outside of the conference. And that plus one game is really made to accommodate, you know, the ACC schools that have out-of-conference rivals, you know, your Florida States and your Floridas, your Georgias and your Georgia Techs, Um, you know, those type of rivalries that they really want to keep intact. Mm -hmm. So, as we look at that, you know, I'll say straight up, I still think the season doesn't happen. I yeah. even as the momentum trends towards the scheduling idea, um, you know, I still don't think the season happens. And if it does go towards the scheduling idea, we're most likely looking at pods. Mm-hmm. Um, with the idea of there being three pods, you know, with more or less an equal number of teams, and most of the games that the ACC teams will play within those that ten game schedule will come within that pod. So for example, you know, UNC, Virginia Tech, Duke, you know, those would be pretty logical choices to include in a pod with UVA, just given historic rivalries. Um, but before kind of getting into the implications of all that, you know, cough, cough, Notre Dame, uh, you know, what do you think of this idea of the 10 plus one schedule, you know, potential pod format, you know, what is, what is your take on this? Because it seems, you know, looking ahead to this week, that could be something that's adopted as soon as this week pending votes from the president. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting. I think it's a good solution for the time that we're in. I think it's also just kind of a, a tell of where football was going anyway. You know, we were going to add more. We were planning on adding more uh, conference games 
anyway. And, you know, some some ACC teams have even been scheduling conference opponents as as non-conference opponents just so that we can play them more. I think I think we're kind of trending into its more conference games anyway. You know, basketball's gone recently to a 20-game ACC schedule. So I think that just more ACC means more money for the ACC. So it just kind of keeps all the money in one spot. I, it's all about money in the end. And, you know, speaking of money, they're going to want these players to play. And I feel like the players don't really have a choice as to whether to play or not, you know, because they've got their scholarship to worry about. You know, in the NFL, they can opt out uh, for the next week. They they could, they have the option to opt out. And they even get paid some money if they have pre-existing conditions. They get paid a little bit less money if they don't have pre-existing conditions but still don't feel comfortable playing. The college players, I have not heard of any any such thing like that. So I think it's going to be interesting if, you know, I'm sure there are players with pre-existing conditions and I'm sure there's players who don't feel comfortable playing. So do those players opt out? Do those players just, are they told to suck it up? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, you definitely bring up a good point about, you know, player choice and all this. Um, I know UVA, supposedly there's two players that haven't returned. You know, there's rumors about who they might be. Can't confirm, you know, no reason to speculate on that. But UVA has said they'll honor the scholarships of the players who choose not to return because of COVID, which I think is good. Yeah. Um, you know, the whole idea of the pod scheduling is really to reduce as much contact, you know, with outside of this immediate group of teams as possible. Um, so this idea, you know, that we've touched on before, like what happens if a guy on Syracuse is playing against Miami and he tests positive and then Miami tests positive and then what happens to the rest of the schedule, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You know, the whole idea of the pods is to try to keep everything within as close quarters as possible. Um, so looking at that, you know, I think there is a bit of merit to it. But at the same time, you know, I don't think we're necessarily solving the problem as far as what to do in those instances. No. Because, you know, it's you're still going to have problems. And, you know, are you going to shut down a pod if that yeah. happens? And, you know, potentially they were talking about a delayed start of the season. You know, maybe it moves towards more towards mid-September. You know, are we talking about potentially having the option to go two weeks in between games? Um, if need be to quarantine and make sure everyone is, you know, testing negative by then. It's so tough to say. And, you know, the ACC and the NCAA in general, you know, really have not provided kind of clear guidelines there. Like we said, everyone's learning from each other right now. But it's just even with this pod idea, it's so hard to see, you know, how you can keep this contained Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, how you can effectively deal with this situation. Right. I have a question about the pod. So would it be so the ACC has 14 teams plus Notre Dame. So that's 15. Did, would it be groups of five in a pod or would it be more? That's the idea would be three groups of five. And Notre Dame, Notre Dame, Notre Dame is included yeah. in one of them? Correct. So what, what pod gets screwed with Notre Dame? <laughs> you know. So do we want to talk about this now? <laughs> I do. I do want to talk about this. Well, I, I meant screwed in the in the sense that like Notre Dame is – like if, if, there, it's, if it's Notre Dame and like Wake Forest and UVA and – Miami, I don't know. I think Notre Dame has a huge leg up on most of those schools. But 
and like that kind of sucks for Notre Dame too. Like they they probably have national title hopes this season. I don't I'm I'm not following Notre Dame in the off season, but generally they're in the conversation at least before the season starts. So like, does that hurt them that they have to play Wake Forest twice? You know, I think I think that's really I don't know. It's unfortunate that you know some group is going to get because they're not going to put all the good teams together. They're not going to put Notre Dame and Clemson in the same pod, right? That would also be unfair. Yeah, presumably not. Um, and I'm sure the ACC would do everything in their power to avoid a situation like that. Right. Um, both for Clemson's sake and for Notre Dame's. Um, but, you know, like just like what we talked about last episode, it all comes down to money. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, Notre Dame kind of needs an option to play football this fall. Yeah. And as an independent with football, even though they traditionally play a six-game ACC schedule, um, you know, as a quote-unquote independent, you know, they got to get games on the calendar. And if you're an independent school, I think there's only six or seven of them. You know, you're really putting a hard spot if the season does happen, but under limited circumstances, like potentially we might be looking at now, um, you're really putting a hard spot. And to me, and, you know, I know you have feelings on this. I'll say my feelings. I do have I'm feelings on indif- this. <laughs> me personally, I'm pretty indifferent with Notre Dame. You know, if Notre Dame wants to be part of the conference, great. If they don't want to be the con- part of the conference, so be it, you know, keep playing your six game schedule. You know, I think everyone would generally agree that yes, the ACC football landscape probably has benefited by having Notre Dame mm-hmm. within the fold consistently. Now, if we're talking about the pod schedule and if we're saying Notre Dame for this season is part of the ACC for this season has the opportunity to compete for the ACC championship to get that automatic bid in the orange bowl. To me, that changes the game to me, you know, it was fine with Notre Dame's relationship before. Again, I'm pretty indifferent. Yeah. But if you're saying Notre Dame is not part of the ACC technically, but they're eligible for the automatic bid in the Orange Bowl, they're eligible for the ACC championship. I mean, how can you have an ACC championship potentially won by a team that's not in the ACC? Right. To me, that changes the game. And, you know, if Notre Dame really wants to be part of the ACC scheduling for this, to me, I'm looking at Swafford and I'm saying, hey, you know, if you are ever going to bring Notre Dame to the table, this is the time. To mm-hmm. me, I think if Notre Dame wants to participate in this, and you know, quite frankly, their athletic department would be in pretty bad shape if they weren't able to play football this fall, just like every school's would. If you're trying to get Notre Dame to play football, to me, it makes sense to say, "Hey, why don't you join the ACC?" That's my two cents. Yeah. So I so I was actually not called out, but I was I was given a different perspective on you know kind of kind of forcing Notre Dame to join the ACC and that was um, I want to I want to give a shout out to Hootie McCavman for on Twitter for bringing this to my attention I tweeted out something about um, the ACC should basically just like force Notre Dame to join the the, the ACC permanently um, that would be great for the ACC but then he brought up or they brought up that uh, that you know, it's kind of unfair to use the pandemic as a, you know, way to get money for the, for the conference. And I can see that point of view, but also going back to you, right. I think it's important to, to realize that if they go to the orange bowl, they're taking away money from the conference. You know, they're, they're keeping it for themselves. That money does not come back to the ACC, especially because they're an independent football school. So if they are going to be eligible for the orange bowl if they're going to be put in a pod my, my guess would be they would be in a, a pod with maybe Pitt 
you know, if we're going regionally, Pitt, Louisville, maybe Syracuse. I don't, I don't yeah, really maybe know. Boston College, maybe BC and you know, Syracuse. Like I think that you know that seems like a pretty easy schedule for Notre Dame, and they could pretty pretty much you know go undefeated in that. I don't know how good Pitt or Louisville is going to be okay. Pitt might be okay. But I don't think Syracuse is any good. And I don't think Boston College is that good. And so does that is that fair is that unfair for the rest of the ACC if Notre Dame kind of takes away that opportunity to go to the Orange Bowl? Yeah, I mean that's the question and I think we also have to look at this under the perspective that this is John Swafford's last season as ACC commissioner. Right. You know, he's retiring after this academic year. And, you know, he, when it was announced that he was retired, most of the articles came out talking about, you know, it's been around forever. You know, he did a good job kind of building the ACC basketball's credibility. You know, he worked towards building the ACC's football credibility. You know, as much as we hate to say it, you know, adding a Virginia Tech, adding a Miami, adding a Boston College when they were really good, adding those guys to the conference. To be fair, when he added Boston College and Miami, they were good, and they really haven't done much since coming to the (laughs) ACC. Yeah, I mean, remember when Boston College was like a top five team? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they had Matt Ryan, Matty Ice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember losing to Boston College in football those first couple of times. Yeah, you know, Um, Pitt has had historical success in football. Um, Certainly. Even in Louisville has had great success in football. So I think, you know, he's done a great job. But if he's unable to, you know, at least talk to Notre Dame about joining the ACC or getting some of their NBC money for at least this season, you know, because Notre Dame's got a um, contract with NBC for all their football games, does that, does that, you know, does that hurt his legacy if he just kind of allows Notre Dame to just kind of walk over the ACC? Yeah, and you know, when considering his legacy, I think the big thing that kind of people have kind of agreed on is that Swafford really isn't, you know, he's not really going out and leading the charge. He's never, you know, coming out and taking, you know, quote-unquote entre- or quote-unquote controversial stances. You know, he's very much... uh let this play out in front of me and I'll make the most informed decision based on the data I have. You know, he's not Mm -hmm. going out and, you know, banging on doors and shouting and saying, Oh, we need this. We need that. He's really a, let's play it out. Let's make the best decision as it comes. So, you know, when you look at that in the context of Notre Dame, you know, when you think about how is he thinking about this, you know, he's probably not going to be too aggressive. You know, history tells us he's probably not going to be the one, that, you know, is like, oh, Notre Dame, if you don't join the ACC, then what are you going to do for football? You'll just lose that money, blah, blah, blah. Like, Swafford is probably being pretty, you know, he's probably being pretty accommodating to them and probably not taking a super hard line stance. Now, does that play out in the end for better or worse? I don't know. And I don't know how it'll ultimately end up. Um, but it's just, I think it's important to say, I can't see Swafford coming out and taking a hard line stance one way or the other, just mm-hmm. because that, is not his personality and we've seen him for 20 plus years yeah. and, you know he's never really done that before yeah yeah that's that's a that's a good that's a great point do you think that the acc presidents could potentially for force him to go a certain way or do you think that they'll kind of go along with what he says you know they certainly have influence i want to say i think it requires 13 votes to approve the pod scheduling format the 10 plus one format okay. so it's going to take the vast majority of the ACC presidents to be on the same page. Yeah, 13 regarding out of 14. The, 
Yeah, it, I believe that number's right. But it's going to take the vast majority of the ACC to be on the same page um, with how they decide to go with the scheduling. So I think they certainly will wield a lot of influence. Um, but how much Swafford is willing to overrule them, I would say probably not so much. Yeah. Again, you know, he's the type of guy that kind of, not to say there's anything wrong with it, because I think he's overall done a very good job in his role as commissioner, but he's more of a go with the flow. Let's make the decision that makes most sense. You mm-hmm. know, he's not, it's not shouting from the rooftops, you know, trying to get something done. Right. Um, so I think that's just something to keep in, keep in the back of your minds as we, you know, really what's going to be the most critical period with regards to scheduling is probably over the next week to two weeks. Mm-hmm. I just think that's something to keep in mind. Um, as we kind of evaluate what's going to happen. Yeah. So it'll be interesting as you know, the ACC decides what, what they'll do with scheduling and also what the ACC ultimately decides to do with including Notre Dame within that scheduling. I think, I think it'll be really interesting and I'm, I'm excited. You know, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm indifferent either way. I think that Notre Dame would be a great addition to be a full-time ACC member, but I, I also completely see their side of the story like they have this great deal with nbc they don't need acc money so i think that i think that they're fine on their own too so i see both sides and uh but it'll be interesting for sure to see what happens going forward what happens with you know testing procedures and the next couple weeks will be super interesting as well you know nba starts back up full time this thursday i think it's the 31st of July or maybe the 30th. I forget what day it is. 30th is Thursday. 30th is Thursday. Yeah. Yeah, So it starts full-time on Thursday. That'll be really exciting to watch, you know, like full-time sports. Baseball's already on. And I think, um, I think I'm ready for sports to start coming back slowly. So I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah. And I mean, UVA obviously has a lot of guys in the NBA. Obviously. Um, so yeah, I mean, it'll be fun from that perspective. And then just sports in general, you know, cautiously optimistic cautiously optimistic which is honestly a different tone than we had a couple weeks ago yes i still don't think college football season happens i still think it's a really low probability but hey if we can get the nba going if we can get the mlb going you know give us something like give us some live entertainment going on right i like need this like i'm usually not a baseball guy but i've been had i've had baseball on pretty much constantly since it started and i've been watching the nba scrimmages like i i'm just kind of starved for content any sports right now and uh but, oh, 100%. but you you mentioned uh people in the nba who's in the nba we've actually got some players down there right now in the bubble and i wanted to go over their stats real quick because i wrote them down before and i almost forgot to mention them but thank you for saying that um you know we've got ty jerome on the suns as a rookie uh he in his most recent scrimmage, he played Boston. They lost, but he did not have a great game. He was one of seven from the field, two points, one rebound, two steals, two assists, one turnover, uh, minus 20 plus minus. So, uh, you know, hasn't played for a while, just getting the game back under his feet. But And he was also hurt to start the season. So I think he's still getting up to speed in the NBA. But I'm excited to see if he, if he sticks around in that rotation uh, once the Suns actually start, you know, playing in the... Uh, in the real games, Malcolm, uh, Malcolm Brogdon was seven of 17 for the Indiana Pacers and their win over Dallas. He had 17 points. He was only one of six from three, but he had seven rebounds, six assists to one turnover, one steal, one block, and he was plus nine. So 
a good influence. The reason why I'm include, I usually don't care about plus minus, but Rob really likes plus minus, so I'm including it for it's him. It's an old joke. It's an old joke. <laughs> Rob, we we used to have a um, group that would play uh, sand volleyball, and Rob would calculate plus minus, um, just kind of. You just pulled it out of his butt, really, but but he would always say his plus minus was higher than everyone else's. So I'm including it for him. <laughs> but you, usually I don't. I don't care about it. Um, Kyle is actually in the bubble as well with the Sacramento Kings. You know, he was on that two way deal with the Kings, but he they actually took him into the bubble. He got a, some playing time in their recent game against the. Uh, oh, who did they play? They played. Wait for it. Milwaukee. They play Milwaukee. They actually uh, lost to Milwaukee. And Kyle got a little bit of time. He had six points. He was one of two from the field with one assist. And uh, he had um, he had some minutes there, which was good to see. Because, you know, he didn't play a lot during the regular season. But hopefully, you know, with the bubble and everything, he might get some run there. Justin recent, Justin Anderson recently signed with the Brooklyn Nets, joining teammate Joe Harris. Justin had five points on two of four, five rebounds, five assists, two steals. And Joe had 12 points on four of nine shooting, two rebounds, one assist, two turnovers, and two blocks for uh, Joe Harris. And I, I find it funny that he had those two blocks because there's a great video that went around of Justin throwing an alley-oop to Joe in that game. And Joe didn't quite have enough height to dunk it. So he just kind of laid it off, off the backboard. So I thought it was funny that he had two blocks in that game too. And then on the 76ers, there are two former who's Mike Scott had four points. He was two, six from the field with two rebounds, one assist. Um, and also some people, I hate people who say this, but Mariel Shayok is a formal former who, uh, he is also in the bubble right now. He got some time, 11 minutes in that game. The 76ers played the Thunder, and he did not score. He was 0-3 from the field, but he did have one rebound, one assists, and one one assist, not assists, one steal, and uh, four fouls in 11 minutes. That's a lot, Mariel. But uh, he's also just a rookie, so he's getting it, the game under his feet, and that's just a update. I didn't forget anyone, I love did our I? Who's the NBA man. Not, not that I notice. I think I got everyone. Uh, DeAndre is not in the bubble right now. The Hawks did not make it, so that's why um, I didn't mention him. But he had a good season, so you know I'm not worried about him. Not worried about him at all. Rob, before we end this pod, is there anything you want to mention? Any any UVA news that uh, that you want to bring to light? No, <laughs> sorry, no, that was, that no was real UVA. Not really eloquent of me. <laughs> Makes it seem like I'm just sitting on this sandbag full of, you know, just gold over here. Yeah. Uh, no, um, no. I mean, I think, I think the biggest thing I will be following this week is decision on college football scheduling. Because mm-hmm. to me, college football still just, you know, it take the SEC line. It just means more, and you know. From a revenue standpoint, from a monetary standpoint, it does mean more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm fascinated to see what's going to happen with scheduling. You know, are these guys going to come out and cancel the seasons? You know, maybe a bit too early to say still, but they certainly need to have a scheduling plan in place sooner rather than later. It seems like that could come out 
um, within the next week or two. So mm-hmm. that's what I'll be watching the most. Anything that you're monitoring? Yeah, I think I'm, – well, I'm excited to see the NBA game start on Thursday. Uh, I'll be looking for Ty to play when he plays against the Wizards on Friday, actually, at 4. So that'll be fun. You know, I think the Wizards are a team that a lot of – I think some UVA fans like because they're kind of the closest proximity to UVA. But um, that'll be interesting, so I, I'm excited for that. And I'll also be looking at some basketball recruiting, see if there's any news or whispers or rumors. I don't know. So a lot of them are just kind of speculation, but I think it's interesting. And, you know, it seems that at this point we're going to get a high level recruit unless something kind of collapses or the th- things fall the wrong way for us. So I'll be looking at that uh, this week as well. Knock on wood, man. Like, knock on wood. Right knock that. on wood. There we go. All right. And with that, we are done for today. Thanks so much for listening. This is the Guys and Ties podcast. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Guys and Ties Pod. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Snapchat at Guys and Ties Pod. Uh, Rob's over there with the bonus content for you. And uh, if you like listening to us, make sure to follow us on iTunes and Spotify. And make sure to check out Armchair Media. They've got a whole bunch of podcasts. Stuff is coming out uh, about all sports, especially UFC, racing soccer and especially with nba coming back and baseball just starting recently as well so go check them out they've got a lot of great podcasts and we will see you guys next time go who's baby go who's